0: head over to JensHeidland.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up. But now, let's get started with the podcast. Hello, innovators, and welcome to another episode of the Jens Land Show, where I connect the dots of innovation and entrepreneurship with my guests. Today's guest is facilitator, coach, and keynote speaker. He started his career in banking before he changed the site, helping leaders to succeed as facilitator and coach. Together, we explore leadership styles, good leadership examples, how to coach and get coached, and many more details. Please welcome to the show, Steve Baker. Hello, Steve. Welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: I'm very well. Thanks, Jens. Great to be here.
0: Great to have you. Looking forward to get things rolling and learning from you about leadership and of course, innovation and coaching and all the other things you're doing. But before we go into that, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you and how did you get to where you are today?
1: Uh, Good question. So uh, how far back do I start? I guess. When you sort of primed me for that question before, the first thought that came into my head was school and and being in a a class which we used to call CDT, I think it was Craft, Design and Technology. Um, Yeah, I I was good at maths and science. I was good at facts at school. I didn't see myself as particularly creative. Um, And so when I got into classes like CDT that required me to design or build something, I just wanted to be told what to build. So I knew I would get it right. And I really struggled. I struggled kind of mentally. I struggled emotionally. And I think I carried that on for quite a few years. I saw myself very much as a mathematician. I went to university and read maths at Durham. Um, I started working in financial services uh, for Lloyd's uh, Lloyd's TSB, as it was at the time. Uh, And I worked for a number of banks early on. And after a time, I guess I realized that I was more interested in people than processes. I was more fascinated by psychology, um, you know, than I was structure and process. I was really fascinated by what is it that motivates people to behave in the way they behave? And how do you help people become more aware of the way they think, the way they feel and the way they act? And therefore, how do you help them change the way they think and feel and act? So I think at the heart of all the work I do is that kind of principle. How do you help people free themselves up from their own limiting mindsets, their own uh, beliefs that might hold them back? And how do you give them the freedom to choose behaviours, whether those are different leadership behaviours, or whether they're more creative uh, or innovative behaviours? How do you how do you sort of un- ultimately? How do you unleash people's potential?
0: Yeah, and and you do this as a professional for for businesses and individuals, or how does that work?
1: Yeah, so largely the clients I work with uh, are big organisations. Um, yeah, not all of them big organisations, but last year I was working with uh, Google and Salesforce. I've worked with Oracle and Cisco. Uh, I've worked with Sky TV, Coca-Cola, um, lo- lots of big global organisations. But I work with smaller organisations. I think the SME market is a, is a fascinating market to work in. I think there's lots of good things that go on in big organisations and lots of really bad things. Um, but I think structures, systems, processes, uh, some of the things I learned from big organisations, you can take to smaller organisations and really help them with as they grow from startup to something bigger they they tend to need a level of um, process maturity or systems or structure not so that it constrains them but uh, so that it helps them expand in a sort of consistent way so i think you can bring a lot of of that to, to smaller organizations too
0: yeah and your in your linkedin profile you you have uh, you have a uh a word or two words that I want to do to, to get your thoughts on leadership matters
1: okay yeah so I think this this went back to my time when I worked at, at Lloyd's at the bank um, and I was blessed to meet some people that were extraordinary in fact I'm, I'm going for a beer with one of them tonight my mentor he was he was the head of business banking for Lloyd's at the time in the late 90s and the early noughties. So a massive role that, you know, he was the probably the third biggest job in the bank um, after, you know, the CEO and probably the head of retail. You know, and, and he was a phenomenal leader and a, and a great human being. And I still learn a huge amount from him. Uh, and yet he was the real exception. There were lots of decent human beings in the banks, but I didn't meet many really good leaders. I didn't meet many people who I aspired to be like. In fact, what I saw a lot of was leaders who were doing what they were told to do, fitting in, uh, whether that was with the culture or the structure or politically for their own careers, rather than doing what they really felt was right. And and I found that quite depressing because I, I experienced a lack of meaning and purpose while I was in financial services a lot of the time. You know, I I didn't really connect with the work we were doing. And I felt like there was this enormous gap between my potential and what I was actually delivering. And I didn't know how to unleash that potential myself. And I didn't have many people around me that were doing that for me. But then I met my first coach um, while I was working for one of the best leaders I worked with, a guy called Phil Loney. He was the the CEO, the MD of General Insurance. Uh, at at Lloyd's TSB. And and he introduced me to an organisation and a guy called Anthony Jaffe uh, and Michael Anglin, who were coaches. And they came in and they were helping us do some transformation work. And a lot of it was around mindset and belief and, you know, being aware, being emotionally intelligent, aware of your, um, you know, the way you think and feel and how that plays out in your behaviour and therefore in the results that you get. And it was a real light bulb moment for me. I was lucky enough to be coached for about six months as I was the exec assistant to the, the, um, the CEO and his leadership team. And that just changed things for me. I, I got into coaching. I started to read. Um, I did a coaching course myself. I went on to do a degree in coaching. And that's really what sparked my interest in uh, human behavior, psychology and how you help people shift and change the way they think and feel and act so they get more from what they want in life so leadership matters if you know if you don't have leaders who are capable of unleashing people's potential if you don't have leaders who are self aware of their their own strengths and weaknesses how their behavior plays out in the organization then i think you can you can create glass ceilings or you can create limitations where they don't need to be
0: yeah can you give an example of one of the great leaders you have worked with? And maybe, maybe not, not something like you learn in a leadership course, something very, very basic where you say, I would love to do this on a daily basis when I'm a leader.
1: Uh, yeah, so I, maybe I'll go back to Phil, who was the the MD at General Insurance at Lloyd's at the time. Um, he's kind of subsequently retired now. He's probably far too young to be retired, but he phenomenally successful career, wonderful guy, um, and he taught me a lot. But this this one moment that stood out. He he hired some new people into his executive team. He'd hired me in to be his exec assistant. You know, I was nervous. I I was working with directors of really senior people in a business that turned over, you know, billions of pounds that made hundreds of millions of pounds in profit. You know, these were serious people in the industry. And we were probably the biggest home insurer in the UK at the time. Lloyd's may well still be. Um, And but Phil was great. He did something that was really effective. He was great at holding people to account. So not allowing people to say, "Oh well, I missed my targets this month," um, but he also coached them really well. He was, I think, he he was good at creating an environment in which he coached and supported people, and he did what he could. He played his role in helping his leaders become the best they could be. But he kind of had an expectation that he'd get feedback in return that people would tell him what he was doing well, what he wasn't doing so well. And I remember when. We worked with this company, they were called Minerva that Anthony and Michael worked at. And he sat us down and we had a bit of a, uh, a talking session at the start where people were just to express and share what was going on for them, how they were feeling, what might be frustrating them. And, and I'm pretty sure I remember sort of Phil expressing concern that he wasn't getting the feedback that, that he he was giving to others. And I suddenly realised, yeah, My job, my responsibility is not just downwards. I actually have a responsibility Mm. up the line to my boss. And that was a real lesson for me. It was a real eye opener that, you know, my job is to help my boss be the best person they can be, they can become not just uh, to help the people around me and below me from a bureaucratic or structural point of view, become as good as they can be.
0: Yeah, And uh, fascin- fascinating story for you, you mentioned that he was a, having like a coaching leadership style which at least in my experience working in large corporations it's not the usual coaching style for for the top 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 leaders why do you think he was so damn successful with that coaching leadership style
1: I think it probably came down to balance. You know, I wasn't one of his directors. I don't know quite what that relationship looked like. But Phil, to me, was a really consistent leader. And I think that's another important characteristic. I think I I worked for another leader at Barclays, who I won't name, uh, who was very inconsistent. People didn't know whether you were going to get the nice version of him or the Uh. nasty version of him. And, And that put people on edge. It made them worried. It took their focus away from um the, the the task at hand whereas phil was super consistent he was clear about what he expected you weren't going to get let off missing your sales target or you know service blowing up in call centers and things um but he would you know he would coach you and ask you he wasn't going to tell you what you needed to do he had an expectation that you would figure out the solutions for yourself he had a belief in you i think He helped me believe more in myself. And I think that's one of the really powerful things about coaching is when I stop telling you what to do and when I start asking you how to achieve those goals that hopefully you've set, not me as your leader, Hmm. then I demonstrate a belief in you that you hold within you the tools or the skills to be able to solve the problem yourself. Um, whereas when I tell you all the time I create a level of dependence on me for the answer and the solution and that might feel good to me that you know I'm doing my job as a leader by giving the answer I'm helping you but that's actually not helping the long term it's that classic parable of give a person a fish you feed them for a day teach a person to fish they can feed their family um, for a lifetime and I think that's you know, people don't coach because it's hard. It's a difficult skill. You don't know when to be directive and, and when to let the person make the decisions themselves. And sometimes you don't feel like you have the time. But I think if leaders don't have the skill and the ability to draw out the potential of other people, then I think they, they're going to be less effective than they might. And I think millennials, you know, the younger generation's gen Z, millennials i think they have an expectation that their ideas are going to be listened to and that they're going to be able to cut their own path um and so i think more and more coaching as a leadership style is going to be important it's not the only way to get things done but i think it's an important skill set to have as a leader
0: yeah and i think the there there's a point to where, where which which at least implies for me like it takes more time in the beginning to build it up in that way and and most properly a lot of leaders or managers in in leadership positions they don't take the time in switching towards or, or the risk to go towards a coaching leadership style because the business might go down for a second or a couple of weeks or whatever because they're not directing them hey this is what you have to do but in the end if you do it i guess at least um it's way more successful if you put the time in
1: yeah it's you know i think uh, i've not been at those very very senior levels of leadership i've i've run reasonably large teams i've i've had responsibility i've managed lots of other people but i've never you know run a multi million pound business i don't know mm-hmm. quite what that looks like but the sense from what i've seen from those who do and what i've read um, and what i've observed is that by telling uh, you get this false sense of control. I've told people what to do, um, Mm. so I'm I'm in control. Whereas if I ask people what they should do, maybe they'll come up with a worse answer than I would have. But maybe they'll own that answer and that solution, and they'll work it through. And and as they come up against barriers, they might shift and change their answer to overcome those barriers more. They'll be more motivated than if I've just told them the answer. So, yeah, I think... um, I, I think that style can be enormously powerful if you, you know, if you employ it well. Um, but I, I understand why why some leaders don't. It takes time. It's a practice. It's a skill. You've got to hone it. You probably feel vulnerable um, yeah. as a leader asking and not telling. Um, it, you know, if part of your identity is to know the answers. I often work with professional services. So when you work with lawyers or you work with accountants or you work with people who are knowledge workers, you have You know, who part of their identity is my advice and my knowledge is what is important to my clients. What they pay me for. When you go and say, "Hey, we don't know the answer, but let's figure it out together," that's probably quite a vulnerable place for them to be. But the world's complex. There aren't obvious answers and simple solutions to the major problems we face. So I think taking that to sort of bring the design thinking angle in, taking that experimental mindset in to say, "I don't know what the answer is. No one does." You know complex environments by their very nature only reveal cause and effect afterwards, not before. So we have to experiment. We have to try things out and therefore calling on the perspectives of many people, whether they work alongside us, whether they work below us in the organisation or even above us, calling on multiple perspectives and running experiments to find out what truly works, rather than saying, I'm the boss, I know best and here's the answer. I think that really is the the way of the future for leadership and organizations
0: what is your advice for a person that is coming from so in in my experiences people working well and they're knowledge workers and they're getting rewarded because they they know everything they work well and they deliver and then sometimes they get the opportunity to go from a a knowledge-based job into a leadership job what what is your recommendation for people who are starting in their first leadership job trying to apply already coaching and coaching leadership style from the beginning?
1: Ooh, that's a big question. Um, I, I think the first thing is, I remember reading a book called The Leadership Pipeline. I think Phil gave it to me many years ago. I think I've, I've even got it on my shelf. Look, there we are. Um, it, it wasn't a book I, I love, but I still use it. And, and one of the things I took away from that book was this concept of, as you move up the levels. so the leadership pipeline is this sense that there are levels in an organization, there'll be different levels in different organizations, but we all start as individual contributors. No one reports to us. And then we get that first line leadership job, and then we might lead other leaders, and then we might lead a business unit, et cetera. Um, and what it says is, as you move up the levels, you've got to let some things go, So you've got to stop doing some things so you can start to do the new tasks of leadership, for example. And the other bit is you've got to really value those new tasks. So I think the first piece of advice to anyone moving from that individual contributor, particularly from the expert point of view into leadership of others, is you've got to really value the task of leadership. you really got to want to help other people. I think leadership is behavioural. I think it's about what you do and what you say more than what you think or what your principles are. Um, And ultimately, I think leadership is really about helping people and the organisation be better than they could be without you. Um, So I think it really is about growing individuals, growing teams. Um, it's not about so much what you bring in terms of your own expertise. It's about helping the whole be better than the sum of its parts. So I guess, yeah, that first one would be, you've got to really want it. You've got to want to be a leader, I think, but you also need a bit of humility. So I think you've more and more, you need to accept, I don't have all the answers. I think if you come in with that mindset that my job is not to provide the answer. My job is to help the team find the best answer. I think that's a really good mindset to bring in. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, have that, that sense that ultimately it's about you helping grow the humans in your team. If you can grow them individually and if you can grow the connections between them so that the team itself is strong, then the team will be able to solve any problem or challenge that occurs. You know, it's not down to you as the leader to solve that. You create the environment in which the individuals can truly perform and shine. Yeah.
0: One of the interesting examples I have from my side, fitting perfectly to that is when I got into um, leading leaders um, position, I got the advice from my mentor. You need to forget. So because I wasn't, I'm still an engineer, but I was working with knowledge of an engineering background. So he was saying, y- you need to forget because you don't need to have the answer anymore. Even if you have the answer, don't put it on the table because your team is there. They need to be empowered to take the answers and put them on the table. You can, of course, help them to find the way and guide them, but don't put the answer. If you always put the answer on the table, which you might know, they will never put their answers on the table. That was his advice, and it it was super true for myself.
1: Yeah, I saw Phil do that a lot with his leadership team when there was a problem to solve he'd ask for everyone's opinions first some leaders are so keen to express their own that that comes out and then everyone just nods and agrees yeah um and and we get nowhere um part of the challenge i guess for leadership is when your team genuinely do come up with some lousy suggestions (laughs) and you know they won't work for whatever reason it's how do you manage that when you think your answer is better or when you think their answers won't work, what do you do? Do you allow them to go and fail um, and learn from that? Or is the situation too big to allow them to fail? So you need to be more directive. And I think that's that's where the the art of leadership comes in. There's no right or wrong answer there. You, you're gonna have to learn. You'll fail sometimes by taking over, or you might fail sometimes as a leader by letting them fail, but you, you learn by doing in that way, I guess.
0: Yeah. I would love to go back to your story. So you you have worked inside of corporations, and then you decided to do, like, change change the sides, going on on the other side, and then helping organizations. What was the trigger for you to do that?
1: Um, the, in, in truth, it was boredom. So <laughs> I I worked for two big banks in the UK. I worked for two big banks in Australia, where I lived for about eight years. And I got to the stage, I guess I was in my mid thirties. I was looking around at my friends and their careers all seemed to be going like this. And mine seemed to be going like this, if not like that. And, uh. and I just worried that I'd lost my motivation. I'd lost my spark. I'd lost my desire to work hard. Um, and, and I saw an organization who was doing innovation and leadership Uh, in terms of training and conferences and they came in and worked with us two or three times and it looked amazing. Their sessions were energising, they were exciting. I left with a buzz. I felt kind of whole again. I felt excited about the future. I felt like my potential was kind of tipping up and it took me a while but I eventually went and joined them and it was it was amazing. I, I went from watching the clock and doing the minimum to working sometimes 18 hour days and absolutely loving it. And it was fascinating. I wasn't a different human being. I was just in a different environment that drew different things out of me. So that was when I really learned, one of the questions I'm fascinated with at the moment is, to what extent is environment responsible? And to what extent is the individual accountable? And I don't think it's, you know, there's an answer between zero and 100. I don't know exactly what the answer is. But that for me was a fascinating example of where changed the environment and suddenly it fundamentally shifted how I felt, how I acted, how hard I worked. I felt like, you know, the lid was taken off and suddenly all my energy, all the things that had been inside me just came out to the fore again. And it was, yeah, it was probably the best decision I ever made. Yeah, I, I feel in, I, in... I consider myself unemployable these days.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I feel with you. <laughs> I I interviewed um in, in the in the previous episode I interviewed Andres and Alberto who run uh, the Innovation Hub in in Madrid in Spain, and they exactly um, validate this environment part because they they're they they have built this environment for startups and in the ecosystem around it, and corporates come in to innovate. So. They and and he was Alberto was giving a story which is quite fun. It's like the the corporate innovators come in, in into the 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 cube, and then they're they're dressing in t shirt instead of suit and tie, and then they're proud that they're dressing in t shirt and they're showing up. See, I have a t shirt, so it's quite interesting. So for them, it was also the environment and the the surroundings, the people you engage with help you to transition into a completely different mood and and environment so that maybe fits into that as well
1: yeah i think you're right it's i saw a a friend who i used to work with in that company i joined that transformed things for me and he was he was on linkedin talking about this balance of when is it the individual when is the individual accountable for their performance and Mm. when is environment a factor and as you were talking then it, I, I started to think I wonder I wonder if people have a sort of natural level of hard working and uh, an energy or whatever it is and and the environment allows them either to live up to their full potential in that or, mm. or dampens it a bit. I, I don't know the answer I think it's a fascinating question for leaders to consider when do I hold my individuals accountable? when is it my accountability for not creating an environment that enables them to shine? difficult
0: yeah. one to answer that that's a good transition to going from one leader to many leaders so most probably you work with more than one leader in an organization and kind of maybe even bridging that to a, a, a cultural discussion of 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 an organization how do you think i think the the engagement of the leaders between each other on a leadership level and then as well the common drive of towards maybe a coaching leadership style if that's the the preferred leadership style of that company how important is that or do you see and have examples around that
1: so around what are you asking about how important is it for leaders to have a sort of consistent perspective and style within an organization yeah um that's i'm not sure i've ever considered that even though i work on You know, the the program of work I did last year with Google was, you know, a a big program of work across a number of leaders. So clearly there are organizations that think everyone needs to sort of have at least a baseline uh, skills, beliefs, mindsets around leadership. Um, I'm I'm starting to think a little differently about it. It's not that I necessarily disagree that you want leaders to be capable to a, a standard or a level. But there's something about how you go about it. Another friend of mine, um, Jonathan Brown, I call him JB. Most people call him JB, I think. He's got a great podcast. He's another coach, uh, largely in the leadership space. He's done some fascinating things like work with esports teams on how to build resilience and high high performance within team environments. And he's got a podcast where he talked to a guy called Tom Colditz, I think is his name, as in the castle. And Tom colditz is ex-military. I think he ran the Leadership Academy at West Point uh, for the US military for a number of years. I think he now runs the largest leadership program in the world at Rice University. There's seven or six or 700 students at any one time on this leadership program. And, and he has some really simple rules about how to create leadership capability. And the one I really love is um, you've just got to work with people who want you can't change people who don't want to be changed, I think is the yes. ultimate principle. You've got to work with people who want to become a better leader, become a better coach. I think if you try and sheep dip everyone at a level in an organization, and I've been involved in these programs many times before, I think if you try and put everyone through the same program, you you're, you know, you probably won't push the people who are really willing hard enough, and you'll be pushing way too hard on the people who are unwilling. So you are probably sub-optimizing or compromising too much I think if you start working with the people who are really keen and you invest your time and effort to develop them whether it's in leadership or design thinking or coaching to some extent it doesn't matter, push on the open door develop those people create success in the organization with those people and then get everyone else just a little bit jealous to say hey why am I not getting a bit of they're getting some attention you know, whether it's investment training, whatever, wow, they're having some success that I'm not having, you know, and then I think you might pull the other people along to to start to want it a bit more. Um, You know, we talk in coaching, that you can't coach someone who doesn't want to be coached, because it's largely non directive. And I think, learning and training is much the same if people don't want to learn something they won't if people don't want to change their behavior they won't you can put them through days and days of expensive training and it probably won't have an impact so work with those individuals or those groups who are passionate create success with them and then build out from that success i think that's the way i think about creating leadership at you know a leadership standard across the levels that's you know tom tom and jb really influenced my thinking on that recently
0: Great, and I, I will. Uh, if if you could share the podcast with me as well, then I will put the link into the show notes so people can, after finishing this one, of course.
1: <laughs> yeah, once you once you listen to all the yenses, you can go and listen to, to exactly. Jay,
0: <laughs> so, y- you mentioned values a little bit. H- how important are values for for the leadership development and for a leader? Well, oh,
1: it's a good question. I, this is one that. I sort of go back and forth on sometimes I think sometimes I even think values don't exist. And what I mean by that is I'm not sure they're indistinguishable from beliefs. Mm. So I sometimes put values and beliefs together. They're really just thoughts in our head. So justice is important to me. You could argue justice is a value. Right. What that really means is I have a deep seated belief or thought in my head that justice is important. And when you do something that perhaps um, maybe you cut me out of something I deserve to be a part of, I feel like that's an injustice that pushes my buttons, and, and you're going to get a reaction from me. Um, so, the, you know, there's lots of talk about you know values in organisations. I, so I think at the personal level, we just have deep-seated beliefs about how the world should be, and when those beliefs or values get transgressed then that tends to create quite a reaction emotional reaction and therefore a behavioral reaction so we either fight or we flight or those kinds of things my view in all at the organizational level is values i often ask people why why should an organization have values what's the purpose of them and the the, the best answer i've got at the moment is that values are about helping people understand what's the kind of behavior we accept around here when there's no one to tell them. So in the absence of a leader or someone else to kind of bounce and tell them, hey, this is how we should do things, You know, a corporate level value should tell you, should give you an indication of what's acceptable and what's not. So I think to me, they, they should act as guiding lights for people when no one's kind of watching. So when we have a values of, you know, well you look at Enron, one of Enron's values was integrity. Go figure. Um, they weren't exactly living their values. So to me, it's, it's, it's almost not so much important what it are the values that you state as an organisation, but is your organisation truly living them? And most importantly, are you as the senior team truly living them? Because if you're not, then everyone else is going to to realise, are oh, those values aren't really true, yeah. and I think unfortunately most organisations set aspirational values, but they then don't claim their aspirational values. They don't say we're aspiring to be like this, but we know we're not there yet. So please, you know, forgive us along the way. What tends to happen is they set those values, um, and then they the senior people will pretend they're aligning with those values, but then they'll get called out. I mean, look at look at government at the moment. Um, you know all sorts of transgression of of the rules during lockdown and no one's prepared to say you're right we made a mistake it was not acceptable we will do better Um, you know Boris has got part way to that but not all the way (laughs) so I think I think that's where that humility comes in you know great set aspirational values but make them clear and behavioral, make them so that people can understand. If you say our values are customer care and integrity, yeah, what does that really mean? I don't think it means an awful lot. I think that the values that are more interesting, uh, one of the organizations I work with uh, has color as a value. And what they mean by that is we bring, You know, it's only a single word, but we all understand it. It means we bring a little bit of ourselves. So if we're a little bit cheeky and mischievous like me, then we can bring that to the team, to the client. If we are, uh, if we like a joke and a laugh, then we can bring that to work. So, yeah, I think values are important, but what's most important, is do people understand what the behavioral standards are that we expect? And do those help us achieve the outcomes we want to achieve?
0: Yeah. Now I would, I would like, before we go towards the end of, of the podcast, I would like to switch the perspective how is it uh being coached i mean you have been coached in in the past and now you're on the other side and coaching how is it and what requires um it to be coached
1: oh so what's it like being coached um the the first time i had a professional coach it was it was amazing um you know I kind of look at my life in two halves there's what what who I was before that and who I am after that Um, because I I genuinely think some things shifted for me that can't go back Um, so my belief that things like you know I believe I'm responsible for how I think feel and act so my initial emotional response to something you say or do I'm probably not in control of but once I become aware of what thinking that might have triggered, what values or beliefs that might have punctured, or what emotions that's brought up, I'm then able to decide, are those thoughts, beliefs, you know, emotions, are they helpful to me in getting where I want to get? Or do I need to do something different? So so there were some fundamental lessons like that, that coaching taught me. And that's what inspired me to go and do some of it myself, because I thought, wow, Wouldn't it be amazing to spend the rest of your life helping people create sort of transformation for themselves in that way? Um, So, yeah, I I found coaching enormously powerful. But there's that. I, I don't know whether it's a Buddhist phrase or. But, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And I think that's what happened for me. I was starting to get a little dissatisfied with work life. Things weren't happening as quickly as I might have wanted them to. And, and I got a reality check and it wasn't all, it, you know, great. Some of it was like, well, you've got to change and you've got to, you know, you can't just expect people mm. to give you things. You've got to do do differently. Um, so I think to be coached, you've got to be curious. You've got to want to things to be different, um, but you've got to want to change yourself because, you know, you may want a bigger house, yeah, a better job, you know, a, a stronger relationship. But if you look at someone like Esther Perel, who's an amazing um, relationship coach in the US, she would say that, you know, trying to improve a relationship will not work unless both parties um, are prepared to change themselves independent of what the other person is prepared to do. And I think coaching is a bit like that. If I'm not prepared to change some things about myself, I can't expect my results to be any different so coaching can be really hard you can face some truths that um (laughs) you know aren't easy to face but if you're prepared to if you're open-minded curious then you can learn a lot
0: yeah and my experience is also that people discover things about themselves they have never thought about ever in their whole life and that is sometimes not risky but it's kind of Sometimes, sometimes you get afraid about that if you hear that from others that are being coached, and you you see the transformation. But then the transformation only happens when you discover something that's maybe years years uh, happened years ago, or kind of a block uh, a blockage or whatever. Um, that's at least how how I've seen it for myself, as well It's like, holy crap! Yeah, I've never seen it from that perspective. M- maybe similar to you, and then it's like, yeah. I can I could do things towards a different perspective if I if I put the work in, but that requires work again.
1: Yeah. And and ultimately you can end up coaching yourself. If you if if a coach has a good process and asks some consistent questions, you can start to ask them yourself. And yeah. and I love that my mi- I love the mindset shift you're kind of referring to there. Yes, a coach can help you with it. Sometimes it just happens in other ways. I remember when I started working In Australia I did towards the end of my time in Oz I ran a leadership program for um, uh, I think it was for Oracle I ran it in Sydney first and then I ran it in Hong Kong and Mumbai and Singapore Uh, and by the time I'd sort of done that trip around Asia and came back to Oz I suddenly realized this is about around one a month for two or three months I came back and I realized oh I I can now work anywhere in the world and if I can if I can run programs in in those countries surely I can run them anywhere in the world and and that was another light bulb moment you know a discontinuity where suddenly your mind opens up to possibilities and I think that's what coaching can really do it can highlight those blind spots you were talking about things you don't know about yourselves Um, I wasn't aware I had a limiting belief that I could only work in English speaking countries like Australia and the UK or the US. But then when I went and worked in people's second language and it was successful, suddenly you go, Oh yeah, there's a, there's a different experience to be had here.
0: Yeah. I need to ask um, the, 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 the question around the cultures, how is it um, leadership starts? I mean, I have lived now in five countries and have seen different, country cultures but also organizational cultures and leadership cultures how how do you see the differences differences with coaching leadership style and coaching in the different cultures and the openness for it as well
1: oh yeah um that's a good question so i've called i've you know coached people in in different countries um you know my my expertise certainly isn't on on culture and different, you know, human cultures. I think think that there are still some standards around coaching. So you've got to want to be coached. You've Mm. got to be open to it. You've got to be curious. You've got to want feedback if you want to learn and progress. And I can imagine that there are some company cultures where people fear being open and vulnerable where coaching is harder to do I can also imagine some human cultures where people are less open and vocal uh, and less prepared to go inwards and have a look that where coaching would be harder to do Um, but I but I generally believe having worked all over the world I see the same problems occur time and time again whether whichever organizational culture whichever human culture you're in and so I think there are some fundamentals about human nature. And so I think if people are open and curious and want to learn about themselves, then a coach will be able to help them. Finding the right coach is a key part of it. You look at all the research and one of the key things is the relationship. It's m- much like counselling and therapy. High quality relationship is required for coaching to work effectively. But I think it can work in any culture if people are open enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah agree with with the relationship it's one of one of the biggest drivers in a coaching relationship where if you don't like the other person it's not going to fly
1: (laughs) no no it's harder to be open again isn't it it's harder to be vulnerable to admit you don't know
0: that's why it's sometimes maybe as well hard just to get someone in front of you hey this is now your coach it works in a sport context but but i i think in a corporate environment is It's hard.
1: Yeah, I think really going deep. Yeah, I think people need to choose their own coach. Too often, I just get told, "You know, you are coaching these people," and when their own desire is not there, then it it definitely makes it, it less effective. I think is is my experience.
0: Yeah. So transitioning to the last part of the podcast, where I'm asking a couple of questions. If you can work with the project either you work inside or lead the project that is impacting every human being on earth what project would you decide to work on and why
1: i think one of the things um when i started to learn more about coaching and starting to practice it and starting to realize how many limiting beliefs i carried around and, and what the way that impacted my performance, my relationships. Um, I I got interested, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was doing a lot of coaching in schools. And so I guess what I would love to do would be to bring some of the thinking from organizations around coaching, personal development, leadership and and innovation, bring that into schools. I'd love to to do something that, that enabled kids to not form as many of the limiting beliefs as I had this was the when I started being coached I realized I had maybe 18 years of limiting beliefs that my coach was going to have to work through and the 40 to 50 year old directors I was working with they had you know 40 or even 50 years worth of this stuff to unwind and I thought why don't we teach kids to think in the right ways why don't we teach kids to believe the right things about themselves and about the world why don't we teach kids to think and behave in the right ways to manage their emotional you know I, I saw something the other day that said, "Frankly, we don't need to teach kids anything." That the whole idea of the empty vessel versus the the acorn model of uh, you know education. Kids have what they need to grow. We just need to nurture it and guide okay. it and help them. We don't need to fill them with facts. We've got Google and Wikipedia for that. I, I wish more schools taught leadership, taught innovation, taught teamwork, uh, taught self-awareness um you know emotional self-regulation i think if we were teaching those things in school we could radically transform um yeah we could touch everybody on the planet
0: love it where will you be in a year from today and hopefully can not that. in
1: this bloody room i'm tired <laughs> of it
0: you, you, you can you can answer that on a personal and or business level
1: uh where i'd be in a year's time um so in a year's time my daughter will have started secondary school so i'm um, uh, i'm looking forward to her really starting to flourish and grow in that environment she's um, going to quite a musical school um so maybe i'll be in the early stages of managing her pop career who knows um
0: <laughs> on tiktok uh, most probably. yeah
1: yeah <laughs> um being less flippant I guess in a year's time I would love to have stronger relationships with my wife and my kids um I would love to have developed more of a meditation practice it's something I stop and start with um I'd like to be calmer and more content I guess in a year's time professionally uh I'd love to be Uh, another friend of mine I work with sometimes in the States, a guy called Steve Garber, Stephen Garber, I think he prefers. uh, He said, "What you he does a lot of work with leaders and teams. And he said, what you want to work with is an emotionally intelligent leader who's got a significant business challenge and the funds to support you, supporting their team to work with that. And, And I think that's a really nice, Triumvirate, I I said, I'd love to work with leaders who want to work on their leadership, teamwork and innovation. Uh, I'd love to work with those leaders and teams who have real challenges they don't know how to solve and want some help along the way. Um, And it's always great to get paid for it as well. So, you know, it's I, I, I am trying to do more and more pro bono stuff. But, yeah, I have two kids and a dog and a house and things to pay for. So, yeah, ultimately, it's working with leaders and teams who are inspired to want to change things personally for their teams and for their organizations. That's where I'd like to be doing more and more of that.
0: How do you keep yourself up to date on the topics that interest you?
1: Oh well I do yeah I'm I'm stood behind an enormous library of books so I try to whenever I see anyone I'm inspired by um, I uh, buy their book I just see that as an investment I may not read it all but I I love buying books Um, I listened to a few podcasts I listened to a great episode of yours the other day Um, I can't remember the guy's name but uh, he was talking about you know revolutionary innovation and how he sh- helped shape organizations really fascinating so i love podcasts another one i particularly enjoy is the knowledge project shane parish um so I, I really have got into podcasts recently and then i just try and get on people's newsletters um so dan pink um I'm trying to think who else uh i think it's james clear atomic habits i just w- when i find someone who's Teaching or writing, I like. I tend to get on their their email list, and if yeah. I don't read it every week, I don't read it. But it's a great way just to to try and connect and 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 hear what's going on in the world.
0: Great. How can people connect to you and get in touch?
1: Uh, so you can a number of ways. The easiest is either on LinkedIn. Uh, so find me under Steve Baker you can email me at uh, steve at stevejbaker.com or you can go to my website www.stevejbaker.com so two or three fairly easy ways to connect
0: yeah and i will put the links of course as well into the show notes so people can straight away click through and get in contact with you thank you steve thank you very much for your time was a pleasure learning from you was it's, it's really a great topic because it's a topic to my heart as well. I love it. Thank you very much.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I've just, I can't believe the time's already passed and we're done, <laughs> but uh, I've had a great time. I hope, it was, uh, I hope it was useful. Thanks for
0: listening to today's episode. You will find the links and resources in the show notes of this episode. If you would like to support the podcast, the most impactful thing you can do is subscribing to the show on any of the podcasting platforms and give me a review. This will help me to reach more innovators around the world and bring some of you into the show. If you have any questions to the guest or want to engage with me, feel free to reach out to me on social media and contact me there.